Welcome to part two of the Growing Through Dance podcast and the interview with Bill Waldinger. In part two, he discusses his thoughts on dance and life and the evolution of his dance teaching. So something else which will be really interesting to hear from you is your thoughts about that training. Now, I want to just tell my listeners that I read a blog of yours which was talking about training different bodies. I really thought it was quite interesting about your thoughts on this and if Perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on the sort of technical side, mental side. How did the physical skills work for you? What what did you have to do? Well, I I was I was fit. I, I, I didn't come in to the training out of shape. I was 25 years old and I was in very good physical condition. So I was strong and I was lean. And so there was that. I didn't understand how internal the work was, how the muscles that the audience is not aware of are working and learning how to do that took a very long time. So Luigi used to talk about pressing down on an imaginary bar. His entire technique is based on the concept of pressing down on a bar that isn't there. Well, this was lunacy to me on day one. He also used to talk about feeling your arms across your back. I had, you know, many years of advanced anatomical training. Your arms are not connected across the back. The idea of pulling the top of the chest down, the pull down, he used to call it the pull down. Mm. in opposition to the pull up, which is happening in the core. I had no idea any of this even existed. And figuring it out, when you train in open class, because I trained completely in open class, Mm. there's no curriculum. And I, I had a friend say open class training isn't training. Uh, and I, I beg to disagree with that. Open class training is training. It's just not organized. And so you have to have the kind of brain that can organize it. Mm. So I guess there was a lot of organization that went on in addition to all of this deep work of looking for these feelings. And, and then, then I get to ballet and, and it's like, well, now here's a whole nother set of feelings. Luigi's technique is fully turned out. It's not, excuse me, it's not fully turned out, but it's turned out. You don't work at 180 degrees the way the goal might be in ballet, but it is turned out. But the turnout works a little bit differently in ballet. And so this sort of journey to finding all of these feelings and how the muscles work and then incorporating his ideas of musicality. I mean, it's a lot to put together. Uh, With respect to the blog that I wrote, Uh, the blog piece that I wrote, I had to do it a number of different times because I did it once when I was young and fit. And then I had to do it again when I was 43 and not fit, but I had the information in my brain. Mm. It just wasn't in my body anymore. So it, it was a different way of putting it together. When I wrote the piece, that piece is a few years old, I was starting to feel the decline. You know, now, no matter what I do, it's, I'm getting weaker. No matter how hard I work, I, I'm losing balance. And so now I was figuring out yet another way of putting this information together and, and making it work. And now, after being in a Zoom box for a year, it's a whole nother thing that I could have <laughs> never even anticipated. 
Yeah. It's three weeks since I took my first class in a studio. Mm. Um, and I hadn't done that for over a year. When, when Rita Hamilton was still alive during the pandemic, I had access to her studio. So I would go and give myself class, but it's not the same thing as taking a class. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was very diligent and I did it almost every day. But I feel like I have a very strong will to do this. But you have to be a special kind of crazy to push yourself as hard in an empty room with no windows in a snowstorm by yourself as you would be pushed in a room full of people. And so things really fell apart. And so that first full class, I was stunned at what I could not do. And so now here we are again with yet another body trying to figure it out. I mean, it's not as it's not the situation where I referenced a very elderly dancer who was probably somewhere between 80 and 90. I'm not there yet. Not what I was expecting. Interesting, isn't it? I think also very much I've, I've talked to people about injuries. When you haven't had any injury, you dance and you hear somebody say, oh, I can't do it because of my back, my knee, my whatever. I think the majority of people who have a reasonable dance technique can't quite understand that somebody mm -hmm. can't do something. And I think very much the same applies with age. And of course, the older people get, the more that understanding happens because... Right you've experienced it so your your experience of, of what's going on in your body I hope I'm not wrong in saying that it's helping you to work out how to keep it going now absolutely and I say it to the youngins all the time I, I I see these kids in class kids you know people in their in their late teens 20s even early 30s I say you'll see yeah <laughs> if you keep going you will see I really thought that if I didn't stop and I never did too much, that what is happening now would not happen. Mm -hmm. But that is not true. Mm -hmm. But it, what it does is it helps you cultivate other things. You know, I, I think they, they talk about when somebody loses a sense, like if they lose their eyesight, that their hearing becomes more acute. I, I'm starting to feel like certain things, a pomon, Yes. And port de bras and nuances of phrasing are actually getting better. Maybe because I'm paying more attention to them. Maybe because I'm older and wiser. It's a terrible thing in dance in particular, unlike other arts, that we are at the height of our powers physically at an age when we just don't really know anything. We think we know, but we don't. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, you but, know, young head. Old shoulders and vice versa. <laughs> yes, but but a musician can play a piano. I mean, they're great pianists oh, who yeah. play into their 80s and 90s, mm. you know, and a painter can paint and an actor can act. Mm. But a dancer, yes, we can dance. I can still dance. Mm. I don't know if anybody's going to pay $200 to see me do it on a stage at this point. I don't know. And there's something... I wrote a piece about this. There's something very, very ephemeral about what we do because it, it's nearly impossible to capture what happens on a stage on video. The same thing. There's, there's some and, sort of damping down, isn't there? Something right, right. Um, maybe when you capture it on film or very high resolution video, the way a, you know a major motion picture is made, mm. maybe. But I. I, I feel like 
people are always pointing a camera at something now. And there's something beautiful in the fact that it's not going to be there, that you experience it that one time and then it's not going to be there. I don't know. I kind of got off track. I don't remember why I was saying that. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've talked a lot about the sort of physical side of, of dance. What about the sort of mental health side of dance? I know that this past COVID year has really shown that dance can be helpful. Do you think it's been something that you've managed to hold on to and it's been helpful to you? So yes, it, it was helpful to me through the pandemic. I'm very lucky in that I was fully employed. Everything that I was doing transferred to a virtual platform, except for maybe two classes a week. I, I have friends who didn't work for a year. Mm. I have two friends who still haven't worked. Mm. Um, so I'm very lucky. So I did not have the stress of not being able to pay bills. You know, that, that was not a problem for me. And going into Rita's studio and giving myself class, even if I didn't work to my fullest capacity, definitely was very helpful for my mental health. I know it's, it's interesting that you bring this up because I had forgotten about this, mm. what I'm about to tell you until just now. When my friend Harriet came from Florida after my not dancing for nine years and brought me to that class, what she said to me was, you have to go. You are not the same person. Yeah. She said, you have to go. You are not the same person. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that for those of us who love it, it's, it's important. It's an important part of who we are. In, in that respect, I mean, you know, dance, it seems, has obviously shaped your life and it was there waiting to be found, really. It said to me, one of the words that comes out quite often from these interviews is resilience. And it says to me that you have a lot of resilience. And as you said already, you, you already identified the focus that you have and the slight obsessiveness as well. But I think the resilience to actually do what you've done and take it up at a later time is very unusual um, yeah. and extremely commendable, I think, personally. It's yeah. interesting, the word resilience. I, I would not, I mean, yes, definitely. I would not have come up with that word myself because it's just a function. Yes, I'm resilient because I have to be. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of roadblocks. I mean, to, sometimes I think that when people hear this story, students in particular in my open classes, like they think, oh, well, if I take class with him, then I'm going to have the career that he had. Um, this was not easy. No, you know, no. this this was not easy, and you know, use the re the word resilience. I think I would have used the word relentless. There is slightly different meaning, yeah. maybe. No matter what happened, I kept going. Interesting, because it it, it sort of has a relentless sort of has a um, a feeling of desperation is the wrong word. <laughs> no, desperation but, but you is. You don't believe, yes. You know, desperation is the right word. Oh, you feel it is. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, I always felt like the clock was ticking. Yeah. I'm 26. I don't have this. I'm 28. I don't have that. You know, there was that. I mean, yes. With respect to what happened in the classroom. I was dancing for the sake of dancing and I was learning for the sake of learning. But of course, I'm navigating a career and I did feel that clock ticking and I was relentless. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I teach in two different capacities. Yeah. I teach open classes for adults. And there they are, are not... mainly doing that totally for fun or? 
Most of them. Yeah. There are, you see, so what happens in New York is typically the more professional classes happen during the workday. People who are professionals dance usually between 10 a.m. in the morning and maybe three or four in the afternoon. And people who are doing it for fun tend to do it in the evening. Because of the way the Joffrey Ballet School is structured, we only have open classes in the evening. So most of our students are recreational. We have a few professionals who come because it works into their schedule, but most of the students are recreational. And so I try to instill in these students the idea of dancing for the sake of dancing, mm -hmm. of, of cultivating artistry. One of, the, one of the most ingenious things about the Luigi technique, and one of the things that made him, you know, people love now to throw around the term master class and master teacher until you've actually met one. You know, if you've worked under a Luigi, it's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. The level of genius is, is incredible. He always believed that you had to cultivate artistry from the very first moment the student walks into the classroom. One of the things that I disagree with in Vaganova methodology is the way they reference artistry and teach artistry. Of course, there's always gonna be great artists coming through any training system. Mm -hmm. There are gonna be talents that are so great that, that there's nothing that you can do to, to squash them even if you wanted to. But there is this idea in, in Vaganova methodology about gradually building artistry on top of a technique rather than cultivating artistry within the technique. Mm. And I try to do that in my ballet classes. A lot of what I teach in the ballet studio comes from Luigi's work. His ideas of placement, the way he taught turnout, the way he taught epaulement, I believe far superior to any ballet teacher I ever had. If I had not walked into that room, we would not be having this yeah. conversation. Yeah. There, there is no other teacher in New York who could have given me what he gave me. Mm. And it was dumb luck that I walked into that room. When I'm teaching the, so I'm really teaching three different groups. I, when I'm teaching actors, that's a whole nother thing. For the most part at the beginning, they don't understand what it takes to be a dancer. They are often not given enough ballet classes in their curriculum mm -hmm to make the kind of achievement that they wanna make. So they don't put into it what they should. And what I'm trying to do is teach them that we are setting you on the first step of a journey. So what you're gonna get here in these two years, no, you can't become a dancer with, you know, two 90 minute classes a week mm. or one two hour class a week, which is typically what I have them for, either one class for two hours or twice a week for 90 minutes. No, I can't make you a dancer, but I can, I can give you the first step to a path that you can then continue to follow for the rest of your life. So teaching them how to study ballet is what I try to give them. I, I've had some very challenging groups. In recent years, one that I thought I, I didn't know how I was going mm -hmm. to get through. And maybe I never did. I'll, I'll never know. That's that group. 
And then I teach the pre-professional conservatory students at Joffrey. These are students who are, can start the Joffrey program as young as 14 or as late oh. as 23, I believe, mm-hmm. or 13. If you are under 17 years old, you have to homeschool. So they are dancing with us all day. And then they do their schoolwork on their own via a, a computer program and a website. So these are kids who are really, really focused. My goal is to build an artist. I am, I am teaching these conservatory kids who spend half their day with this thing when they're not in the studio, looking at the highest extension in the most number of pirouettes. Mm. And I, I'm trying to be at least the one teacher that is going to help them find value in something less quantitative. That's the word I was looking for. I'm trying to teach them that there is something less quantitative than the degree of their arabesque or the number of pirouettes that they can do. And dancers are different. So there's something interesting that happened with this pandemic. So now at Joffrey, our in-studio classes are all hybrid. So half of our students are in the room and half of the students are on Zoom. And so I have a computer in the room with me. And so I had this group, full-time students, I wasn't reaching them. I just wasn't reaching them. Part of that, that's my classroom. That's how I become a better teacher. When I have students that I can't reach, it is my job to figure out how to reach them. I I referenced Fred Astaire and I got blank stares. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> I, I know that they're ballet students and yeah. I know that they're young, but I thought everybody knows who Fred Astaire okay. is yeah. or was. I, I, I just assumed that and I got blank stares and I turned to the room and I said, who has heard of Fred Astaire? One hand went up and I said, sit. And I went to the computer and I brought up some videos and it was like the clouds parted and the sun came through. The problem was that they had no reference for what I was telling them. It was like I was speaking a completely foreign language. Mm. So it it was a very interesting moment for me as well. Um, I actually had a student ask me, was Fred Astaire a trained dancer? Uh, Do you think he just magically pulled that out of his hat? I mean, um, and one of the things that Luigi always said, and Fred Astaire is the perfect example of this, is that the emotion and the feeling should cover the technique. I should never be aware of your technique. Technique. I should never be aware of it. Mm -hmm. And he was the perfect example of that. It just looked so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, You were never aware, never aware of his technique. And that's what I'm trying to bring to them because none of their other teachers are. You know, the the bulk of their training is Vaganova methodology. Does it work? Of course it works. Mm. Look what comes out of the Vaganova Academy. It's not the way I work. And that's why I'm there. Because as strict and as Russian as that faculty is, and as brilliant as they are, this school understands that these kids need more if they are going to have careers. And so they study Luigi technique and they study Graham and they study Horton and they study contemporary dance. And it's probably the only serious pre-professional ballet program in the world that gives them as much time in other techniques as we give them, because it's only going to make them more interesting and it's only going to make them more employable. That's what I'm trying to bring to them.
it sounds as though there is much more of a culture of adults actually dancing in New York than, than there is in this country. You know, I'm just interested in, in sort of, because it must be so difficult if they come and say, well, you did it. How it is I, difficult. Yes. Yeah. It is difficult. And I do get that sometimes. Mm. And, and I say, I mean, I always tell them how much I did. You know, I was in a position financially where I could pay for and have the time for 15, 16 classes a week sometimes. Every Every single week, mm. six to seven days a week, relentlessly training. You know, I said, this is what you have to do. I said, it doesn't mean that you can't learn how to dance if you can put in that time. And it doesn't mean that your time in the studio isn't valuable. But if the career, if the goal is a career on the stage, then this is the time that needs to be put in. And everybody has always been willing to accept that. I reference Luigi a lot in my classes. I, I think that his legacy is very important. I've been trying to not always, Luigi said, Luigi said, Luigi said. I try not to do that too much. I feel like it diminishes what I have to say. Everybody who teaches the Luigi technique. So it was very important to him to create an artist. It was also very important to him to have us not all look the same. This is what's different than what goes on in, and I know a lot about Vaganova methodology because after I left this wonderful Debbie Cruz, I went to Madame Gabriella Darvash, who was a student of Vaganova's. She didn't teach strict Vaganova methodology, but it, it's definitely from that world. One of the things that's different is that they want everybody to look the same in the classroom. And if you look at those graduation exams that they post on YouTube, I mean, yes, they're beautiful. Of course, they're beautiful, but they're Balatron. You know, there, there, there is this mechanical, methodical way that they all do everything exactly the same. Luigi never wanted that. He cultivated an individuality in every single student. And so I definitely try to do this. And so one of my really regular adult students, you know, you always talk about Luigi and what he meant to you. She said, what you don't realize is that you mean that to us. That's very special, isn't it? I mean, you can't get a bigger compliment than that. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. That that was the biggest compliment I've ever got. I'm exhausted. That's why <laughs> this no, is happening. Just, this has been so amazing. So amazing. Um, he was... He was special in a way that is very hard to describe. And to think that I could even bring an eighth of what he had to the studio is more than, than I, I ever thought I could do. You know, he was, he was really magical. It's a shame that his way of working has fallen into people not interested. I have a class called Technique, which we took, the people who were really studying, we took it twice a week. Mm -hmm. So the way that Luigi's Technique is set up is that it's a set, people use the word warm up. He preferred Technique exercises, but it's 42 minutes and it's set. And in the higher level classes, he didn't explain them or break them down. The music went on and you just did them. But twice a week, we went to technique class where for 90 minutes, we listened to him explain these exercises and do them in excruciatingly slow detail, in excruciatingly slow tempos with no music. And we just listened to him discuss them and talk about them and explain them and explore them for 90 minutes, twice a week. Tell me who's going to do that to, and pay for it with no choreography, with no combination. Mm -hmm. Who's going to do that? But that's how we learned it, mm -hmm. you know? And so to try to pass on that tradition 
that's not happening. That's an interesting thought of something that maybe there is some way of putting that into the 21st century. I mean, I've tried. So when I teach an open Luigi class, I have typically done what he called was the style, what he called the style class, which was not all of the exercises, but breaking them down and explaining them. And it definitely gets you warm and you can then do combination afterwards without fear of injury. But it, it kind of selects the most important of these exercises and breaks them down in a lot of detail. And then after the breakdown and explanation where the student does them full out, see, this is what's different than a ballet class. In a ballet class, the teacher explains and then you do. And typically you watch while the teacher explains and then you do. Luigi insisted that we worked full out during the explanation because it's more about what it feels like than it is what it looks like. Looks like and so we would do it full out during the explanation and then repeat with the music. And I, this is how I ran my open Luigi classes for a long time. And in the last couple of months, the school and I have made the decision not to do that anymore. We feel that more people will come if I just put the music on and let them follow and kind of talk over the music and give maybe a little one minute or two minute explanation prior to each section. And we're gonna see how that goes. They're not gonna learn it in the same kind of depth. It's just not possible, but maybe it's more important that more people learn something then fewer people learn a lot just to kind of keep it alive. I don't know. So if you hadn't have done dance, what do you think your life would have been like? I would have stayed in dentistry. I would have continued playing the piano badly, recreationally. And I probably would have a nicer and larger apartment. <gasps> I would feel content, probably, and not happy. And do you feel because of dance you are happy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the greatest joy in my life to walk into that studio. The, the fact you can still do that must be a joy as well. Yeah, I mean, it's fallen apart. <laughs> it is definitely falling apart. But every once in a while, you know, you catch this little glimmer of what it used to be in the mirror. And that's, you know, that's really magical when that happens. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. And like I said, certain things are still getting better. Certain things are still getting better. So there is still growth going on here. We still have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Things growing in terms of dance, it hasn't come to this halt where it's going backwards. There's still other discoveries being made. Yeah, there are still other discoveries being made. They're not in pirouettes, extensions, no. and big jumps. But yes, there are still. And one of the things I, I've realized is as I struggle to keep things going, it gives me insight into how to explain and teach oh, things. absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, identify with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like I figured out things recently, how to explain things that mm. I never would have thought of. And even sometimes simple things, just how to explain Tondu to the back, which I'm still trying to figure out how to do it as well <laughs> as how to explain it. You know, some of these things that are so simple um, or apparently simple can take a lifetime of exploration. And that's, again, one of the great joys for me. Mm is trying to figure it out. Bill, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. Um, I personally could go on talking to you all day because there's so much knowledge there too. To well, thank you. This, thank this you was, for talking to us. Really. This was a great pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. If you have enjoyed today's episode, then please be sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon or Google Podcasts. 
Your support means such a lot to me so that we can get the stories of dance and how it helps life out there. Please also like and share the Instagram Growing Through Dance Pod and like and follow the Facebook group Growing Through Dance Podcast where you can join the conversation to discuss dance. If you have any stories you'd like to share, please contact me via direct message on either social platform. Thank you for listening. Your host, Catherine Lucy. Thank you.